Hello and welcome to another episode of our show. Today's guest is Alicia Hurst. Alicia is a art therapist who has been working with all ages for the past 12 years to help individuals rediscover the creative process. And that is something that anybody and everybody can and should be a part of. And this rediscovery of who we are in terms of our own unique creativity can really help us to better understand our world and our wellness. It was excellent having her on the show, and I hope you enjoy the episode. If you enjoy this podcast, please be sure to share it with friends and family, as well as to let us know through uh, our email how we're doing. You can email us at robsproblywrong at gmail.com. Thank you and enjoy. Uncut, uncensored, and unfiltered. This is an open mind. You're listening to I'm Probably Wrong About Everything. All right, we have with us Alicia Hertz. Is that right? Hurst, H U R S. Hurst, Hurst, sorry. Alicia Hurt, Hurst. Alicia Hurst. Thank you for uh, joining us today. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Good. Thank good. you for having me. Oh, my, my pleasure. So you're, you're based out of the San Francisco area. Is that correct? Yes. Awesome. And uh, actually newly transplanted. Oh, where, where did you, where did you move from? Uh, from the East coast. Oh, okay. <laughs> <From> the, <laughs> uh, just like six months ago, I moved. It's a, it's a very strange time to move to, um, especially to this area. A lot of people seem to be leaving this area. <laughs> right. Right. So. Where, where did you move from? Uh, Maryland. Maryland. Okay. All right. Maryland. So that's like uh, around Washington, right? Washington, D.C.? Yes. Yeah. Right. Okay. Nice. My American geography. It's okay. So <laughs> do, were you doing, now you, you are an art therapist, correct? Right. Is that what you were doing in Maryland before you moved out here? Yes. Okay. I've been an art therapist for 12 years. 12 years. So tell us a little bit about about that what is what is art therapy sure so art therapy is the blending of psychotherapy and the art process so instead of just having a person come in for therapy and verbally processing things you use the art process to help them also process things but that's a very watered down i mean it's it's very individualized for every person but that's the basis so for example, you you have a student that comes in. Like, well, what are the ages of the people that you work with? All ages. I've worked with children, teens, and adults. Okay, so so say uh, like somebody comes in and they're struggling with depression, mm-hmm. right? What is what is something that you would do with? Them? So depression, and again, it is very individualized. But with depression, right. a person is in a very low energetic state. So providing and that the art materials can be medicine themselves so providing them with certain materials that'll help them uh activate themselves in the manner so um an example could be clay because it's very physically um active and getting into it and you need to use your body to mold it and it's literally you're literally watching 
the clay come up off of the table and, and form into something. So there's movement as well into it. So that's an example that could be very, uh, that could be therapeutic with a person. See, because when I think of art therapy, and, and this is why I'm so happy that you're on, because, you know, that's what I know about art therapy, is uh, when I'm working with kids, I'll be like, okay, draw me a picture, right? And then, and then I'm like, well, what's that? Well, that's just a pterodactyl. Is there any significance there? No, I just think they're cool. And you're like, oh, okay. You know, so tell, tell me a little bit more about sort of what you can get out of what you see, I guess. Like, how, how do you sort of frame it for kids? Do you just say, let's just draw a picture or do you kind of give them sort of settings? Like, how does, how does that work? Well, for kids, Specifically, structure does help because um, yeah. <laughs> they'll be all over the place. Yes. <laughs> uh, but when it comes to like interpreting, I actually try to stay away from interpreting and I ask mm. more about like what they see in it um, because they're, especially with kids, they haven't experienced a lot in life. So whatever they say is usually, it can be associated with what's actually going on in their home life. And also it can just be cool. Like, right. just be like, <laughs> But I do want to, uh, and I know you don't uh, mean any like disrespect, but our therapists actually go through a lot of training and there's a lot of, there's actually, we come up against this a lot with people saying they do art therapy, but they, you can't actually say you're doing art therapy unless you're art Fair therapist. Enough. At, le at least in the States. I don't know if it's- No offense taken. No, yeah. Don't, don't worry. Yeah. No offense taken. Tell, tell me a little but bit we, more about the training. I mean, we, I've, Sure, sure. So an art therapist goes to um, undergrad and they have a choice to major in psychology or studio arts and then minor in the other. So I actually majored in painting and minored in psychology. And then when I got to grad school, every, so you also have to go to grad school for art therapy and that's where you combine both of them and really get into the clinical work and um, right. learn how to integrate the, the process into um, in helping heal people, but also, because we also learn how to do, we do individual therapy as well as group therapy. So it's, a, it's very intense training. Um, and then after that, we have supervision for a year. If you get supervised for, I think, I forgot what it was now, two years, a year or two years with an art therapist or a clinic, then you're registered. And then there's more training if you wanna get um, board certified. Um, some, because of uh, licensure stuff, a lot of art therapists become licensed professional counselors because of insurance. Um, so that's the route I went. I, I took the test and I am a professional counselor as well. But also I've, I've as my career went on, I've um, focused in trauma. But I bring up the the art therapy, like using that title, because I've I've run into people who aren't even therapists or counselors saying they're art therapists, <laughs> which yeah. Right. So w when you hear that, are you like, oh my gosh, or like, <laughs> so what's your sort of reaction from that? At first, it was. At first, I'd be like so angry because I did put a lot of time and effort into my training, right? Called an art therapist. But after a while, just 
I'm really enjoying the fact that people are bringing art into curriculums, whether it's through education or counseling, because, you know, there's no like law, you can't bring art into that. But I love that it's becoming more accessible and more like people are using it more. That I absolutely love. It's just the, it can be, and I, I can see as a, a patient or like someone going to a counselor, it can be confusing. Like, well, they're using art and you're using art. What's the difference? Right, right. <laughs> So yours is, is, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's quite specific. Whereas like, for example, de-stressing, you know, there's those coloring books, mm -hmm. right? For de-stressing. Yes. And <laughs> while of course that's helpful, you're, it, you're trying to kind of help them process what's, what's happened. Right. Exactly. And yes, and that was a major issue too. The American Art Therapy Association had to um, really educate people and marketing people about like coloring books are not art therapy. <laughs> They're, they can be de-stressing, yeah. but it's not the therapist being there with you. Just like if you go on a bike ride, like that can be helpful and de-stressing, but it's not, you know, you're not in a therapy session. Yes. Yeah. Well, cause stress to me is like, uh, it, it's more symptomatic, right? Like it's, it's more, um, you know, it's because of a bigger issue, you're stressed out, right? Like it, it, it it's right. a response exactly. to something, you know, same with, uh, you know, various addictions. Like usually there's like a root problem there that needs to be addressed. And that's when you need someone who is in BC, in, in Canada, where I live, we're called registered clinical counselors, right? Which sounds like it's something, it's like a governing body, right? Similar to uh, where you are in San Francisco. It's like, you can't just read a book, you know, and while it might be a very helpful book, you also do need to get some professional support, right? If, yeah, if you right. want to see true lasting results, at least that's you know, that's my opinion. That's my belief. Yes, exactly. To go deep, to help you go deeper. It can be hard to go deep um, on your own because everyone has their own blind spots and mm. denial and <laughs> all that good stuff. So, and again, being respectful of confidentiality, are there any sort of stories that you can kind of share about things that, you know, learning experiences that you've gotten out of it with a you know, disclosing anyone's identity or anything? Oh, sure. I mean, that's one of the main reasons I really um, am focused on talking about it because over the 12 years, I've seen people, especially with adults, hesitate with making art. And it can be a super simple task and they were just sit there and be like, why am I doing this? Why am I here? And to me, that's more of a... Um, and it's more of a, what do you call it? A sign of a unhealthy society. Because if we have such a reaction to making art, like what does that say about it? Because making art is healthy. <laughs> it's, it's one of the healthier things you can do in life. But a lot of people will come to a mental health institution because they're stressed out, because they don't know how to cope, because they're addicted to drugs or, you know, so there, and then I give them an art therapy intervention or task and super simple like scribbling and they have such reaction to it, but they'll go out there, but drinking is fine or, you know, hurting someone is fine or hurting yourself is fine. But what 
art is like, oh no. <laughs> so, um, so that's one of the main takeaways that I've ta- I've I've had as a ther- art therapist. I'm I, I'm picking up what you're putting down about the whole when we ask people to be creative and there's an aversion to it. What is that saying about our cultural values? Right. Why is it such, why is it so stigmatized? And I know part of the answer because a lot of people will say, and art therapists know this too, like a lot of art people, a lot of people's um, ability with art stops at middle school because after that it's, it's somehow drilled into their head, into people's heads that you can only make art if you're an artist or if you're gonna make money off of it or they have family members or people telling them they can't make art. The, the focus is on what they're producing and on how they're producing it and other people's opinions. Whereas I really think it should be on the creative process and the imagination and the, the practical use of it. I mean, that's really where like the, in the health, in the, you know, the mental health part of it. I'm so glad I'm talking to you right now. <laughs> that's such a great point. Like we're focused so much on like the product, not the process. Mm-hmm. Oh shit, that sounded really good. Yeah, no, but it's true. It's a process, right? Like there's, we are meant, we are meant to be creative. Yes. Why, why, are, why is that being uh, subdued? That's not the right word, I don't think. But like, why is, why is that being suffocated, our, our, our creativeness? Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Why? Like, and that's what I, and that's actually what I've been asking myself more every day is like, okay, how am I, um, how might I be limiting myself? And I noticed, my, and I've been focused on the, like, the, the, what do you call it? The 2D arts, but I think creativity in all of its forms, music, dancing, woodworking, gardening, whatever, cooking. Um, so when I go outside and walk, if I feel like dancing, I find myself trying not to because of other people, like, what are other people going to think? So I challenge myself more. And if I feel like dancing, I start dancing though. If, even if it's, you know, in the middle of a city and no one's, no one's dancing. (laughs) Hey man, I've danced. So my, I I have a daughter, she's 14 months old. Oh. Oh man, just game changer. Do you have kids? No, I don't. Okay, well, they're they're amazing. Like she's made me a better person, and I watch her and like we we communicate, we talk, right? Yeah. Well, she just dances, and it's like you know, I I love it. And then I was like, wait a minute, why is she dancing? So I asked uh, Google because you know Google was always in the room with you, right? I'm like, hey Google, why do why do babies dance? The answer was crazy uh you know i i strongly recommend anybody to ask google why babies dance and it's yeah and and i think i'm paraphrasing google here but it's something to do with that's how we communicate is through dancing and then i said well wait a second why do human beings dance so i that was my next question google why do human beings dance and it was because it like the english language is you know it a hundred thousand years ago, when we were first walking around, we weren't speaking English, right? So how are we communicating? So dancing was a way of communicating during stressful times to just naturally release serotonin and to be, you know, relieve stress. 
it's one of the most ancient primitive forms of stress release is dancing yeah that makes a lot of sense so it's like that's why i feel it's not because i had 18 cocktails that i feel so great it's because i'm dancing right right but right. the but out but alcohol and going into addictions and you know here I, here i'm going on a tangent but alcohol is crazy because it uh it shuts off your prefrontal cortex and the prefrontal cortex i believe is what keeps us normal you know it's mm. what it's very important i mean you know please use your prefrontal cortex uh but but it's sort of what keeps us following social norms and i think for some of us there's pros and cons to social norms right like if you want to dance you should dance don't repress it don't repress your creativity yeah i guess that, yeah i guess that was a long formed way of, of saying don't suppress who you are because your creativeness exactly i believe is your identity right and the more creative i i found at least and also through my own process because i make art my i mean I, i've had my own um journey through my own identity and art process and i've watched myself like go you know go past boundaries i thought i didn't even realize were there but I find once you do tap into your own creativity, you're, you not only connect to your identity, you, it, your world is expanded because there aren't as many um, walls there and they're all mind walls really. Once you really- Tell me, tell me about these mind walls. I, <laughs> I like the sound of that. Tell me about a, what a mind wall is. Sure, well, so um, let me see here. Um, well, so there's automatic judgments is, is huge mind walls usually. And it's not until you start really accepting that, oh yeah, I do judge quite quickly <laughs> until, and then you can start paying attention to those judgments. And then you can ask yourself, okay, well, is that stopping me from doing something? And if it is, that's a great red flag or trigger to be like, okay, well, let me test this out. Let me test this judgment out. Is it correct? Is it, you know, am I just being really strict? <laughs> um, and then um, another mind wall is other people's opinions. If I yes. notice that I'm um, stopping myself from doing something because I'm automatically worried about other people's opinions, that's a trigger for me too. Like, oh, now it is at least. Now I'm like, okay, then I need, I probably need to do this and, and, and just test it out and see if I like it or not, rather than automatically not. What, why do we care so much about other people's judgments? Cause I mean, uh, I do, I, I'd be lying to you if I said, well, I don't care what anybody thinks. Well, yes, I do. I have to function in society. <laughs> right. Well, and I think that's part of it is functioning in society is, um, you know, I think part of it is the picture that we've been led to believe we need to portray and it needs to be nice and neat and in, in a certain box. Um, because if you think about it, unstructure and creativity and imagination, when it's all out there, it's hard to box in, it's hard to like mm. reproduce too. And, and it's hard to control and kind of like, um, so I think it's just, it can be easier to have people kind of stay in a certain limit um, in, in a way, but also um, 
I'm trying to think of what, the, why do we care about other people's opinions? I think it's also a lot of inner work too. I found I, I my inner self was quite fragile for a long time, but being a therapist can help I, you <laughs> uh, we'll let go of that. Because I mean, when a therapist sees people who are not in great moods and will mm-hmm. say lots of stuff unfiltered. <laughs> right. So it kind of taught me, it really taught me that, you know, a lot of people when they are saying things or they are giving opinions or judgments, it's really a reflection of just where they're at and not on you. Even if it is true about you, okay, well, let me look at that instead of just crumble at it. I I mean, I'll be the first to admit I'm an incredibly sensitive person and, uh, you know, anytime, like I, I was a writer or I was, I love to write. I yep. love to write. And so much of, I think growing up in my philosophy and I'm not trying to shake my parents for this, but I had this very perfectionist mindset. Right. And any sort of feedback that I got, I just couldn't, I was not good at taking it. And it's like, you know, my mother is literally trying to help me with this, but I'm seeing it as like, it's not good enough. Mm-hmm. And, and that kind of goes back to what you're saying about, you know, we're so focused on, on the product, but not the process. Mm-hmm. And it's like, how can we, you know, kids, kids and adults, how can we re-educate that, that, that concept? How do we change that? Because like you're saying, the worrying about the judgments of others, that's sort of like, again, that's that's kind of like worrying about the product. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Right. Um, how do you change it? Well, one, I think now is an, is an amazing time to start changing social norms because everything around us, all, all these huge institutions are going through changes, whether they want to or not. <laughs> People are really questioning everything. So. Right. I honestly, and I, I've thought about this myself too. How do you change norms and how do you change? Um, I can't remember exactly what your question was, but I think it, it was something along those lines. What was it, it's how do we change from being so focused on our products, our, our sense of perfectionism to trusting the process and growth. Right. I think that word trusting is key because that's what it is. You it's trusting yourself um, and your, I mean, part of creativity too is an intuition, but I think also if you look at it differently, instead of looking at life as like, you know, or yourself or what you're doing is um, how to be perfect. It's um, let's see, let's see what happens. <laughs> I, I, Alicia, I love it. I love that. Let's just see. We, we are focused on outcomes. I think as a society, as a, as a Western society, we are so focused on outcomes. And even in conversations, like hopefully in this one, it doesn't feel like it's about who's right or who's wrong. It's about understanding. Right, yes. And I think that in our society, it's very much about I'm right, you're wrong. and Nobody's really like listening, right? And again, I think that that really does kind of come down to, like you say, trusting the process. So what's what's one way that someone listening to this can can try and change that, that they can turn it around? What's some advice that you have for them? 
Uh, and I, I've actually put a good deal of thought into this. And my answer to that um, so far is the little moments count. It's the, it's the everyday mundane moments. They mm -hmm. count. You've got to give them... So, and that means because when you, when you focus more on how you feel in a moment, then you can become more aware of when you're not being true to yourself. And then like those red flags I was talking about, or those triggers when you feel like, okay, I'm, I'm proud, I'm doing something because of someone else's of an outside force or of an outside opinion. I need to, you know, re recalibrate, um, it's those everyday, it's those moments when you feel like you want to smile at someone and you're worried what they're going to think, you smile anyway. Right, right. <laughs> That's how it changes. I like that. Well, I, as an educator, I've been thinking a lot and I was talking to my, my wife about this and she's saying how, you know, she's really worried about millennials, right? And, and how they're, and this is, this is where it comes in, we're pleased disagree with, you know, Speak your truth, please. But are we building resilient people? Like, are we, when we try to protect people from consequences and make the world a, a softer place, I wonder if, if that could have an insidious outcome, like, you know, the road to hell is paid to good intentions. Mm -hmm. So people talk a lot about triggers, right? And there's also a part in counseling about exposure therapy. Like I can't take triggers away in the world from a client. Right. But I can give them the skills to face those triggers through exposure therapy. So I guess my question is, is yeah. Do you see that? Do, do you see that there could be a problem in, in our level of resilience? Um. So to answer that one, I think therapy is also a key in that because you're educating people on what is healthy to face and what you absolutely should not have to face. Right. Because I think part of that is we've been conditioned some, we may, or not conditioned, but a lot of people have put up with stuff they shouldn't have, they thought was like, oh, this is just, this is just the way life is. Like right. being brought up in an abusive family, it's their norm but without any education or people telling them, no, that's not, that should not be the norm. Right. So that's part of it. And then, um, and that'll break, that'll build a healthy resilience um, rather than uh, like a soldiering through it resilience, yeah. um, which just ends up bringing problems anyway um, afterwards. But then also I think you, when you said that, yourself you're very sensitive i think that also is the other half of it is acknowledging that a lot of people are are super sensitive and that's not a bad thing yeah it's marrying those two it's like okay how can we honor our sensitivity while also challenging ourselves you, you mentioned a good point about i mean in our society and talking about you know triggers of resilience i think we do need clear boundaries Right. We do need clear boundaries. For example, you know, nobody should be abused physically, you know, emotionally, so on and so forth. There does need to be clear boundaries. And then again, creativity is boundaryless, right? Right. <laughs> so it's like it's kind of interesting, but it's almost like I believe that what you're proposing is that by accessing that sort of boundaryless world of 
you know, of our imagination, of our ability, we can create a better society. But I just find it interesting how imagination is boundaryless. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tapping into something so vast can help make a very rigid world better. No, yeah, I love how you put that too, but it it makes sense to, at least to me it makes sense because you're you're able to see other options. Um and also with the creative process, you do come up against boundaries and you have to face them and figure out like, okay, well this isn't working because the paint will never dry if I keep putting more paint on. Right. <laughs> you know, you have to stop at some point. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the same with dancing. You're going to tire out at some point. <laughs> Your body can only move in some way, you know. Right. But, yeah, but I, I, I just, I love how, like, I love music. Mm -hmm. I, I'm a huge, you know, I'm a huge heavy metal fan. Listeners know that. And you know, people listen to heavy metal and they're like, oh man, why is that guy so angry? It's like, well, I think this is his way. So he isn't angry. Right. This yeah. is his catharsis. Yeah. And that's beautiful in a way. And I, I, I don't mean to interrupt your thought, but oh, no, just, no. it reminded me of, I, I've been thinking about music too, because, and I thought about that question because it can be cathartic, but it's like, at what point though is our cathartic music affecting other people in a negative way because you're listening to their release of like all this emotion and yes it can inspire other people to do the same but you're also like the receiver Absorbing. of that you're emotion. Yeah. <laughs> right that's a good point that's my dog did you hear my dog <laughs> Okay, so you, you sorry, you were talking about um, how creating music could be cathartic, but for someone who's listening, they're kind of receiving that energy. Right. And I've had I've I've had a lot of mental gymnastics or wars with myself with that. Like, you know, is that is that healthy? Is it not healthy? Is it you know? Is and I and I've always I'm like if I had a lot of time on my hands, I always wanted to go back through the like history of music and, and see like, is there a correlation between, you know, certain types of music and, and how people act by receiving it? Cause like you said, you enjoy it. So it's, it's obviously not unhealthy for you, but on some people, is it? Well, okay. So hear me out here, heavy metal, concerts are awesome places uh -huh. right like the energy is i've never seen such uh and i excuse me for the gendered language but brotherhood at heavy metal concerts like the mosh pits are crazy you're getting knocked on your ass but people are picking you up man and it's just like i obviously you know no concerts are going on right now but i was gonna go see rage against the machine and i oh, know yeah that would have been such an, an unreal expression of just an unreal expression of just, you know, life. Right. And right. there's something about hearing live, live music and maybe it's the drums or whatever, again, going back to hundred, you know, a hundred thousand years ago. And that was the first instrument, right? There's just, there's something about 
hearing music with other people. Mm-hmm. Right. And I don't know. I, the best way to experience music is live. Oh, I totally agree. With other people. Yeah. Right. For, for the true sort of um, therapeutic, you know, uh, yeah, you're you're actually receiving the vibration. Exactly. The, yeah, 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 yeah. Like there, there is something there. But then again, you talk about music that, yeah, I mean, maybe they're getting it out there, but someone is on the receiving end of that energy. That's a good right. point. I just, I think I, I at the core of it, I, th- I think I just wish people, the artists, were more mindful about that. Like, and if that happened, how would that affect us? Like. Yeah. It, how much would it affect us? Would it not? You know, because if you think about the the especially the music that is um, on the radio, I feel is. Uh, uh, well, <laughs> well <gonna> be... <laughs> country country music, like hey, I love Kenny Chesney, but country music lyrically, and I love lyrics because it's poetry. Right. It's just like, really. Like these are the values and virtues you want to bestow upon people. Like talking about my wife left me, I'm drinking. And it's like, well, she probably left you because you're drinking. Like you, maybe you need healthier outlets, man. You know? Right. But you're right. Like what, what is being expressed here? You know, what, what are the virtues and the values? So, and I think that's a great point too, is the values. If people started at like, okay, my value, what I value right now is, um, is affecting people on a higher level. And if that was your intention, then the music itself would change. If the attention and the value wasn't making the most money um, quickly, then I think the music would actually change. I'm sure that could be applied to everything. Yeah. (laughs) Not just music. But that, but that's a really good point, right? Like, if you really listen to some of the lyrics of these songs that we connect with, right? That we're like, oh yeah, because that's what it is. There's some kind of a connection there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of codependency in those lyrics, right? Right, like you know, um, yeah, I don't want to rip apart any artists or anything, but it's like you left me and I'm torn apart. And you're like. I, you shouldn't be torn apart because somebody's not in your life, right? Like that's codependency and that's unhealthy. So how do you, but how do you communicate that? Right. But could you imagine if it, like the people that are singing these songs had healthy values, like it wouldn't sell. Right. And like you're saying emotion, it does sell. Yes. Emotion sells because, and especially I think with music and movies, because it draws you in and it's like, you can get sucked in. So with it, but I, I was like thinking as you were talking, that could be a podcast of itself is you going, <laughs> you going over different songs and being like, okay, this is unhealthy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can see why it's hip and hop, but you know, it's just... <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely sounding like a dad when I'm like, this song's hip and it's hot. And I know that as I get older, I, my daughter's going to show me music or whatever. And I'm going to be like, what the hell is this, right? So, because I know that that's what my dad thought when he heard my music. He'd be like, Limp Biscuit, like. Oh, right. Yeah, and he, he was like, I 
Robert, do you know what a nookie is? And I'm like, I have no idea, but I'm using it as my MSN name. Like I did it all for the nookie. And I'll never forget this. My dad, it was on MSN Messenger, like the, you know, the little noises. Uh-huh. And, and my status was nookie, which is means sex. I have no idea. But he said nookie and cookie. And I thought it was a type of cookie. Anyways, I did it all for the nookie. And my dad messages me, go away, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. I'm like, what? Go away. You're a virus. My dad thought I was like a, like a porn virus or something like that on his computer. And he was telling me to go away. I'm like, I'm your son. And he was in the next door. <laughs> That's like, hilarious. Robert, what the hell is the matter with you? I'm like, I, I, it's my status, dad. It's a lyric. He's like, you don't even know what that means. So yeah, that's, uh, that was my life. I don't even know how we got into that story, but I just, I'll never forget it. It's funny because going on to art and creativity. So when I was younger, I played, uh, uh, you know, a lot of video games and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I started drawing these pictures, right, of these monsters and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really cool. And I was like, yeah, drawing monsters. And I was always using black, uh, you know, pencil crayons and black felt and stuff. And the teacher, I guess, saw this and was like, kid right <laughs> calls my parents says he's drawing satanic creatures and stuff so oh. they come in and they, you know they sit me down and they're like what's going on here and i'm like oh i'm just drawing the creatures i saw in the video game because i played this game called doom oh yeah yeah i know old school and they're like okay all right oh, that's kind of weird why do you only use black and i'm like well because i let all the kids go first and the only color that's left is black and they're kind of like, uh, okay, so I guess everything's all right with this kid then, right? That's such a great example of um, of just assuming right yes. off. <laughs> yeah, we look at things and we interpret them through our lens. Yeah. Right? When, you know, we see the, the pterodactyl or the bat and we think that something's deeply wrong, but like you said, it's just cool. Right. <laughs> right yeah they just love dinosaurs (laughs) so in in your in your experiences what's what's the the greatest thing that you've learned in your your 12 years as an art therapist the greatest thing i've learned so i don't know about the greatest well okay so there's two things that pop into mind is one is the ability for people to heal is just amazing I've heard so many, because I focus on trauma or my focus right now as a therapist is working with trauma. I hear horrendous things that I do not repeat to anybody like friends or family because I don't want to let them know how bad life can be um, because it, it it's horrible um, for some people. But the ability for the person to heal through that has shown me over and over again, like the capacity of the human being um to go from a very dark place to to a healthy world it just brings me so much hope are you able to provide an example of someone who has healed so um and when i say healed i'll say like they're not healing yeah that because it's especially with um people who've been through super um uh so I'll just say people who've been through really horrendous child abuse and um, mm-hmm. abuse within the family, 
is particularly hard because they grew up with those with people hurting them and telling them this is the way life is and this is normal so it's really ingrained in their brains and then they find themselves getting into relationships of people who abuse them because that's what's normal to them that's what feels normal and then when they finally go to therapy because life sucks and it's like they're just unhappy they learn like no like almost your whole you know your entire life your family your your relationships like these aren't healthy and education is a large part of it and also pointing out to them like okay this you know the it's not your fault that people treated this I think that's one things is a lot of people take on um, responsibility for other people's actions a lot and they think it's their fault or they did something wrong or they could have done something better for their parents to treat them better when that is usually not the case at all or that they deserved it or something like that exactly so how do you when we're children how our parents treat us that's how we think you know a healthy relationship should that that's how we think a relationship should be that's sort of our metric Mm -hmm. right these are how my parents it's usually unconscious yeah of course yeah and um so someone has un you know total unhealth unhealthy connections they're they're being abused how through your work do they change? Like, tell me about the process. And I know your job is not to heal people. Your job is just to be there as people heal. Right. There's yeah. a difference, right? You don't own it. Yeah. You're just kind of the exactly. guy. You're alongside, but you don't own their healing. Right. And that's very important to know as a counselor, right? Yes, definitely. Thank <laughs> you for saying that. No, yeah. Because it's, and I definitely do see myself as like a a person along for their journey for a little bit. And then um, I leave, but just holding space for them to tell their story, I think is super huge. Um, But how does the, yeah, and non-judge, being non-judgmental goes a long way. because people are already judging themselves about what they've been through and how they reacted. And if you can just not judge them and give them a place to, to tell their story, um, that does a lot. Yeah, I mean, I, that's such a, it's so simple, but the greatest thing that you can give, you know, children or anybody is your time. Mm-hmm. that is the greatest resource in the world and when you give people your time and you're listening truly listening like you're not like you know oh yeah okay you know like <laughs> yeah. when you focus in man you win people over not not mm-hmm. saying that that's what you're trying to do is win them over but that is just so valuable is to give someone your time mm-hmm. and like you say holding space for that person so when you work with people and you experience you know again you're kind of taking on this energy how do you stay positive and that's a great question too it actually took me a long time to to figure that out and some days i'm still working on it but um Mm -hmm. just being super mindful about balancing my life because the therapy work can be super 
uh, heavy. Yeah. To say the least. Compassion <laughs> so fatigue. I, I know I had. Yes. Yeah. And so um, one part is, is like you were saying, it is the person doing the healing. So sometimes people in the helping professions want to do the work for them or help. So just staying, staying back and, and not doing that goes a long way. Um, just energetically wise, you have more energy at the end of the day and you're letting the person work and build skills and all that good stuff but also um transition time between events is really helpful for me and i tell this to other people a lot too because it's it can be so easy to go from work to dinner to play time or to you know just the different sections of your day without giving yourself that time in between to really just be like how am i doing right now (laughs) what do i need right now so those those check-ins Yes, exactly. Those, those small moments. I think it, it's super important at least to have 15 to 20 minutes in between event times or tra- to, to just be with yourself. That is and a- laughing. I have to laugh every day. That's good. <laughs> yeah. I laugh lots too. Yeah. I mean, and, and even with your clients, you know, like just. Yes. They tell you a story and just, you, you know, and, and another thing too is, is I think with, with people is you got to be real with them. It can't just be them sharing. You, you say things like, yeah, you know, not the same, but I went through something similar and because nobody wants to feel like they're the only one in the world. Yeah. Right. Which is why group therapy is so wonderful. Exactly. It is. Yes. It's a beautiful process to watch. Or so be part of what and, and and what's one thing like because you asked to be on here and I'm so thankful that that you were what's one thing that you really want to share with listeners about about art therapy um well one is that uh art therapy is an option out there some people still don't know that it, it exists right. <laughs> oh and it's not just, so there's art therapists, there's music therapists, there's dance movement therapists. Um, if you want, if you feel like verbal therapy isn't enough for you, or if you feel like, you know, there's, um, you're not getting anywhere. And there's just people who just need verbal therapy. I'm not trying to, you know, say one's better than the other. I'm just saying there's other options that you, that might be helpful. And I, I actually would, I think the ideal would be to work, have people work with um, several because yeah. art 2d art activates something within you dance activates something within you music activates something within you um writing they all, they all can be beneficial um but also i i wanted to spread the word about the creative process and really encourage people to to just experiment with it if you if you have an initial reaction to making art like oh my god no way I'm not you know I don't want to do that or I would really encourage you to just try something out like go get some basic art materials and try it out if you have kids try it out with them um and play with them um play with the art yourself not and 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 have some time for yourself too don't have art just with your kids I think and 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 tell me what you think about this but when I see kids doing art, I'm like, oh, that's really cool. But I don't say, oh, that's good. No, that's great. Yeah. I, I try to avoid, <laughs> you know, measuring it. 
Yes, that's wonderful. Yeah, that helps prevent art trauma and from people stopping art in middle school. <laughs> right, right. But like, really, like you, you, you're you're looking at something and you're like, oh, I really, I really like that. That's a good idea or something, you know. But not saying, oh, that's a good dragon or whatever, right? Because then it's like, oh, you know, if if they don't say it's good, then is it bad? Right, and it may not be a dragon. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell me about this. I like that. That's a good point. Tell me about this. This is a dragon. Yeah. So now for what, what made you decide to go on this journey as an art therapist? Well, when I was in college, I didn't really have an idea of what I wanted to do. And then, so I took a class that I thought would help me get a job really quickly. And it was a class in um, being, what was it called? Administrative assistant, pretty much like secretarial work, like typing and making brochures. And and I was horrible at it. I, <laughs> I, I, I think it's the one class I got in college and it was, I almost failed. And I didn't fail because part of the class was um, creating a brochure and I <laughs> excelled at the creating the design part <laughs> of it. Nice. And um, so I was like, oh, okay, so I need to go back to, and I thought about it as like, what part of school did I really enjoy? And it was always art. I always enjoyed all my art classes. So I was like, I'll, I'll go there and at least I'll be enjoying what I'm doing. I, don't, I still don't know what I'm going to do yet. So I started taking these studio classes and my mom's a nurse and she's like, Alicia, you know what? I used to work with an art therapist. It's something you might want to look into. And I was like, what's that? And I never had heard of it. And this is only, you know, what, 12, 15 years ago, um, 15 years ago, it was school. But um, so I looked up and it, it just like clicked. I was like, oh, this makes so much sense. Of course, I'll, I'll. and so I started making the steps to do it. And luckily enough, it um, it was enjoyable, and because making art on my, on its own wasn't fulfilling enough, I wanted to help people, mm. and so the two just collapsed. Therapy, um, my experience with it has been so fulfilling. However, my idea of how to help people has changed since then. I, I used to think like, you know, doing something like therapy is is the way to go, but now my my um, my thought about how to help people is really being true to yourself. Mm -hmm. uh, no matter what that, you know, as long as you're not hurting other people yourself, yes. being true to yourself and doing something that's true to yourself in a profession. So if you love to make money, go out and make money. Like that's probably helping. At least you're enjoying your life and that in itself can be so inspiring to other people. Whereas if you're making money and you're horribly depressed, like that's also, you know, other right. people are seeing that. Following your, I mean, not to sound corny or cheesy, but it's because it's kind of true. Following your values. Yeah, right. You know, and, and I do think that so many of us are not following our values. Right. Mm -hmm. And which, which kind of results in the despair and the anxiety I mean, I can't, I, obviously I can't speak for anybody else, but I know in my own life, when I haven't been true to myself, that's when things fall out of whack. Right. So what's, what's next for you now? You're saying you have a website, let creative, cre excuse me, let creativity. Tell us a little bit about that. 
Oh, sure. So I started it because I was um, getting into, I, I find, I found through, through my years as a therapist, I really enjoy working with groups, but I also, one of my missions in life is to help bridge the gap between people making art because it just blew my mind that people were coming into mental health institutions and having such a disconnect with art and I was like you don't need to come into an inpatient unit and find out that coloring helps with anxiety (laughs) so (laughs) I was like there needs to be there needs to be you know the arts well one I think the arts need to be more accessible arts can be expensive Music instruments can be expensive, art materials can be expensive. And if there needs to be uh, something that helps with that. I always like imagined like a library where you go, except it's not a library, you go in and you like- It's an art art. Right, yeah. That's a great idea. It's like a community thing you can play, you know, but um, so that would be one way. But also another way is doing what, I call interactive presentation. So going to businesses or schools, um, I've done several talks where I'll go and at conferences and I'll make, um, you know, I'll, I'll educate them about something like whether it's self-help or um, mental health or um, uh, I did one on scribbling once on, on the, um, on how scribbling can actually be healthy and help you uh, uh, connect to yourself more but then with these presentations I'm all, I'm not only educating people but I'm also having them create art mm-hmm. so it's helping bridge the gap that way saying okay you're going to experience this you're going to remember what it feels like to make art and how it can actually help you because I'm gonna I'm not gonna only talk about it I'm gonna have you do it I like that like like and you're kind of going back to your your purest self too like when you were a kid yeah right and you would just draw like buildings and like again I'm not an art therapist but when I'm just drawing with kids like just giving them some time to decompress I always do the hills you know the hill and the sun and like a palm tree and it's just like that feels great Mm -hmm. you know like this doesn't make any geographic sense at all the way this place is laid out but mm-hmm. I just don't care, right? Mm-hmm. So last question for you. What's what's some homework for me and for listeners that we can get back to our creative selves? What's some homework for us? Um, well, that's a great question. Some homework for you, I think, would be... So I would gravitate towards whatever brings you more joy. So when I... With creativity, if like... If you have been wanting, there's usually something in the back of the person's mind that keeps coming up. So like, for example, if someone's been wanting to try watercolors Mm. and they're like, oh no, it's not worth it. And then it pops, it usually like pops back up in their head like a month later, like, oh no. So that thing, whatever pops back into your head, try it. (laughs) I like that. Yeah. In terms of art. Yeah. I like that. I mean, I just, I, yeah, I, I, I love writing and I need to do more of that. And I'm know. sure it like keeps nagging at you. Like, oh. It really does. <laughs> you must be a therapist. Yeah. <laughs> Alicia, thank you so much for your time. Um, I would love to have you back on again, you know, as, as more things come up. And uh, yeah, it's it's been awesome talking with you. Thank you so much. Thank you for reaching out. 
Oh, thank you. And likewise, it's been a pleasure being on your show. I really yeah. enjoyed this. Once again, that was Alicia Hurst sharing with us the healing powers of the creative process. It made me reflect upon my own creativity and, and how I, I love writing, but I, I focus so much on the product and not the process of writing itself. I worry a little bit too much of how it will be received, and that's due to my own perfectionist tendencies. And really, I'm coming to a point where I need to ask myself, why do I care so much about how something is received when if it brings me joy and it brings me happiness and meaning, I'm just going to put it out there. And to the people of the world who judge and measure things, have at her, but I shouldn't have to listen to that. And I don't think you should either. If you're proud of something, if you put a lot of intention into it, I strongly recommend and, and hope that you pursue what you want to do and not worry so much about the criticisms of others, especially individuals who aren't producing anything. So tap into your creativity and you will feel lighter, happier, and healthier. Thank you for listening and have a wonderful day. Thank you again for listening. I'm Robert Grant and I'm probably wrong about everything.